0: Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined on the podcast today by a great friend of the pod, Sean Keyes. Sean, many of you will know, is a finance um, correspondent, writer, um, journalist with the currency um, and also uh, equity research expert. Um, Sean, great to have you on the pod.
1: Thanks for having me, Rory. Uh,
0: the last time we were chatting, we were having a good old ding dong on Claire Byrne, which was uh, a bit of crack. It seems like a, a world ago since, um, and uh, yeah, um, you've had a baby since. Congratulations!
1: Had yeah, there's been there's been babies. I mean, yeah, babies. We we, we, we talked well. There's there's there was probably one at the time, and now there's two. Oh, oh yeah, very we, good. We talked we talked in the green room about like kind of polite talk about having a going on the podcast. And then we went to Claire Byrne, and you handed my arse to me on live radio, <laughs> and and then after that I was like, oh god, this podcast no. now, now we're going to do it. But now we're now now we're doing this a year, a year later. I've been licking my wounds. Ah, uh, not at
0: all, not at all. Um, no, it's great to have you on, and thanks for coming on. Um, and I just wanted to start by um asking you um. In terms of your own background, because, you know, it's really interesting, I, I like to get the, the human side of people. And listen, say, fair play for coming on, because I asked Pat Farrell from uh, Institutional Investors, one of your buddies, I'm only joking, uh, mm-hmm. Pat Farrell, would he come on? And he said he wouldn't. Uh, so anyway, um, I won't put you in the same class as Pat, but I just want to say that. I meant to say that recently on the podcast, that uh, if he is listening, which I don't know whether he is or not, but... Um, He's uh, absolutely welcome to come on, but I did invite him, and he said,
1: ah no, I won't but anyway,
0: Sean, um in terms of your background what's your background where where did you get into this where do,
1: where do i come from i'm I'm from Limerick born and raised, and um I was growing up so i i did i i did economics at college, but I think before that when I was like a youngster yeah i used i used to be mad for sim city and okay i think i think it nearly it, it I think my interest in economics nearly stemmed from that. I think I, I've always been really. You interested.
0: have to tell me what SimCity is. I've heard of it. Have you not heard
1: of SimCity? It's it's a it's a game that was popular when I was young, uh, kind of a PC game, and you just you uh, you are the mayor of a city, and you kind of do all the zoning and utilities and try to make it grow and try to make the population happy and stuff. Okay. It's quite. It's, it's extremely fun. Well, like I tried playing it again recently, but I didn't have the patience for it. But um, so anyway, I, that was. Uh, so I did economics and I did, I did more economics after that. And, and that was, I just, sort of, I find all that stuff very interesting, but like it was, my first love was always sort of this like urban economics and urban geography sort of stuff. Okay. Um, and then, so in my life, then I went, uh, then I graduated the recession, um, had to take the boat to London, lived there for the got 10 years. Yeah. Um, at the end of that i got i was fortunate i got some good experiences i got to go live in in copenhagen for uh six months and i got to live in japan for a few months as well and also vietnam um but i got basically you know i got to see and live in properly these very interesting cities yeah Um, and they were always very inspiring to me um then i came back to ireland been back in ireland for five years probably uh is that right coming on five years and um moved in about 400 meters from you as a crow flies (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's it yeah yeah we're neighbours I haven't bumped into you on the road yet uh, maybe you're, you're running across the other side of the road when you see me or something
1: I saw you in Gaffney's one time but you were you were totally surrounded by your friends and I was like oh, God, I'm not going to wreck you buzz here I just didn't <laughs> do it because I was I was heading out at the time so next time I will bother you though
0: next time absolutely do yeah Gaffney's is a great spot um, lovely point to Guinness there in terms of finance and equity you went from um, what were you involved so what areas did you work in around
1: that so I was working with. So I was, had this idea to be a financial journalist. Got a job at a, a magazine in the UK called Money Week, which is sort of a big sort of publication for our, like ordinary investors and just like a weekly digest of of um, of financial ideas. I got to Money Week. Then have these sort of had these other publications, these newsletters, which they ran on the side, and it was sort of like an add on. You could, if you were an inter- if you were a Money Week subscriber, you could take a subscription and get like. Basically, stock picking advice on different topics. So they'd have one for macro, one for small caps, one for technology. They did loads of them. So I was kind of moved over to be in charge of sort of managing all the publication of those. And then I, from there, I took some exams and I actually like ran a subscription investment newsletter. So I was like had a portfolio, was picking stocks for people and analyzing companies and telling them what they should buy and sell and hold. And that was, I did that for a couple of years. That was my last job in London before I came back and joined the currency.
0: Okay. Interesting. And how did you, what, in terms of that sort of analysis, so you're looking at the different companies, areas that are of, are the places to invest effectively and where you'll get the best return or?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The one, I, the one I was doing was like, it was small caps first. It was mostly small caps and then kind of pivoted. What is it. small caps? Sorry, just small companies. Okay. Like small company, so the idea, so it's like it's sort of like a newsletter for people who want to invest money and take a bit of risk, and it's like the, the rewards in those kind of companies are potentially very high, but they're also more risky than regular stocks. So it's sort of like you're look, you're trying to find, I don't like you you know you're trying to find the next Tesla essentially, you're trying to find the next big thing company that's gonna, you know, increase in value twenty x or something like that.
0: Okay. Okay. And in terms of your, I suppose, philosophical coming and understanding to the economy and everything, where would you put yourself or do you put yourself anywhere?
1: Um, I was brought up in my family or like Limerick City Labour Party true and through. Yeah. And the, the, the great sort of uh, figure in my family is my my uh, great grandfather was Michael Keyes and he was you know, a Labour Party, TD and Cabinet Minister back in the 40s and 50s. So we're all very proud of him. And um, so that's like, that's the background, definitely like Social Democrat. And then I just, I suppose it's the way of, partially the way I think, so economics kind of makes you more kind of technocratic neoliberally. I think people tend to go that way when studying it. That's one part of it. But also I suppose there was a kind of uh, a time and place element, you know, the way you know the way you—the best music is the music you heard when you were seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, because that was when you're at a formative time in your life. Yeah, uh, and I suppose to be well, it actually, it, was the best music as well. It, yeah, well, exactly. It was literally. I, I mean, I was that age in like 2002, and like it's it's really difficult to make the case that the music of 2002 was the best music ever because it was <laughs> crap enough. Like even even in hindsight, but um, but. Yeah, I, I was. it was sort of coming of age. Time was like that sort of neoliberal moment. It did leave yeah. its impact. I can't deny it left its impact on me. And I, I think the, the edges have been softened off that with time. Um, and I've kind of just basically, I think I suppose I've basically just added more context to that. I've always found it kind of convincing. I still find those basic ideas and arguments convincing. But it's just been about adding context and like adding. And what would you describe those basic ideas as that you find convincing? Um, I suppose it's that um, that like markets are useful for for giving us for 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 raising our living standards, mm-hmm. and they're useful for raising living standards for not just for the rich but for the average person and for poor people. And if you care about the the overall well-being of people that like living standards and material living standards is a very big part of it so you have to sort of work within that for, uh, that that kind of understanding and that framework of like um yeah like if if if, if you want to make people's lives better you have to th- figure out how to improve their material living standards and that a well-run market economy is the best way to do it
0: and then, what would you say are the edges that you've had knocked off, or have been knocked off, or you refer to context?
1: Mm, um, well, I mean, okay, there's sorry, there's a financial crisis in 2008. I mean, I yes. wasn't I wasn't super into like super uh, expert on like you know financial regulation and all, but like, I mean that was a clear example of the cons- the neoliberal consensus of that time going too far, specifically around bank regulation. Like they were saying, it was all, it was because the, the, the guys in charge had had so much success over the past 10 years in in like 2005 or whatever. That it, that it a bit, for maybe, sorry, 25 years, things had gone their way and their ideas were in the ascendant. And it was all ideas around sort of empowering growth and companies and deregulation. And then that seemed to be working. And then when, so when bankers came to them and said that uh, we know what we're doing and we should be allowed to, to um, to take more to borrow more money, essentially take more risk. They were like, "Yeah, well, that seems reasonable." Um, but banking is a very, very special industry because, when, as we all know, when a bank blows up, the um, the bankers don't pay don't pay the cost. And I think the the investors in banks understood that, so the investors in banks were very happy to lend banks money at a very, very like an unreasonably cheap rate at a rate that you never would have. To an ordinary company, with that was that was that risky, um, because they knew that when the push came to shove, that they would get their money back. So the banks got the banks the, the banks got deregulated, they got overlevered, and then just as the investors probably would have guessed, the investors got paid. So banking is definitely definitely an industry where you need very strict regulation because the the bailout because you can't no no government can promise not to bail out a bank. They will. They'll have to. There'd be other little examples, but I can't think of lo- loads of little bits and pieces, like just all, you know, bits of context. I mean, I suppose maybe social housing would be another one. I mean, again, I wasn't super, there wasn't really up to the front of my consciousness back then, but um, I, I'd say if I were to have a conversation with my 19-year-old self about social housing, I disagree with him. And I'd say he would have said, oh no, the market can do it. And yeah. I think I no longer think that's right. I think that there's four Maybe the bottom twenty percent or something—I don't know, whatever it is—a third of the market, um, that you, the market, given costs and things like that, the market can't really provide a reasonable standard of living to people, and so there's definitely a need for like a good, robust base of social housing, which we didn't do at the time.
0: That's interesting, and it's an interesting reflection. And I think it's, um. As was a bit of where I feel hope at the moment is that I feel that in many ways social housing became and it kind of my big critique of a large part of why we're in the housing crisis in in terms of housing need is I think a large part of the failure of governments to recognise that key central role of social housing, um, and I think that your sort of journey and realisation is something that a lot of people are realising, not just like you know I think a lot of people in Ireland. It's like it is. I feel the pendulum has swung back, and there's now an acknowledgement an across the board that actually we do need social housing again. And I feel hopeful because that signals a very significant cultural ideological shift than what we'd had for the previous thirty years almost.
1: That's right. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's almost now it's it's consensus. Like, well, like that's the thing about it. I mean, you, I think on the on is it, there's an asymmetry in the housing debate, Rory, and I think. On the on my side, let's say, uh, you'd find very, very few people who aren't in favor of loads of social housing. Mm. But on the other side, on let's say your side, you'll find a lot of people who aren't in favor of lots of market housing. And yeah. I think that's the difference. Um, I think the, the let's call it, we'll just call them left and right because it's easy. The left is much more skeptical of market housing than the right is skeptical of social housing.
0: Yeah. and And it's interesting because I think that's a significant shift amongst the right. You know, and you're acknowledging it yourself. Yeah. And I think that there's almost like amongst those who've been critical and of neoliberal policies for the last 30 years, it's like, we don't believe you (laughs) that you're really saying, well, no, no, we're supportive of social housing now. It's like, it's, but it's interesting because I think historically, you know, governments in across Europe, you know, conservative governments in the fifties and sixties accepted. So, you know, and built and funded social housing because they just thought that's what we did. Yeah. before the kind of neoliberal ideology took over.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the Overton window shifts, doesn't it? And governments that have a conservative label on them or a liberal label on them, they can do very, they, they, they often do things that don't really fit with what you think their label are. I mean, it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. People aren't very consistent. They just kind of do what's they just kind of do what's everyone else is doing. like, you know, UK conservatives, the UK conservatives will fund the NHS, but American conservatives would absolutely die rod before they do it. It's just weird, and people. Yeah. But but then you know, like in ten years' time, sure, like let's let's take you know take um, uh, gay marriage in the US. In fifteen years ago, it would have been like a revolution if you had suggested gay marriage in the US, but now it's like ninety percent of people agree on it.
0: Yeah. No, no, it's interesting. And of course, it shows that ideas change and culture is a huge part of that. You know, people's um, and I would argue, you know, a lot of how we've changed in Ireland is two things. One, the market and the system has failed so badly that people are realizing something you know, needs to be done. Um, and people like myself and others have made the analysis. And I think, you know, there's people are engaged with it. They're thinking about it. Um, and it is a willingness to think differently and, and shift is, is something. And I, I think, you know, I think social movements are a key part of that as well. Um, and, you know, opposition political parties and, and all NGOs and that wider civil society who make the, the cases for different ideas. Um, but on the financial aspect of, you know, I, I suppose where we would disagree um, around the role of uh, particular where we've you know disagreed, around the role of investor funds and um, global equity funds in terms of provision of housing. Mm. What's your analysis of where we're at now in that? Because we're seeing in terms of, you know, what we're hearing and my analysis is that um, the sort of that real flood of money in over the last five years is easing off and is cooling down because of the global financial situation, because of interest rates and, Mm-hmm. um that we're seeing for example there was a large um development up on you probably know it up on the airport road, um been developed by i think it's chartered land mm-hmm. um and due to be built and there's nothing happening on it at the moment the site is sitting there uh, a very large one um and there's you know we're seeing commencements falling that the are we seeing invest you now from your pr- perspective in terms of analyzing the markets do you see this that investor funds are essentially cooling off because of a changing economic situation or are they just going to continue to get engaged in ireland in terms of residential particularly residential i'm not concerned about the commercial even though yeah. i know it's connected but around residential yeah, yeah, developments.
1: I think. I think. Um, well, I know. I, my understanding is that commercial is in is in much more serious trouble because, and that's more to do with changing demand for office space because of because of the pandemic. Um, and it ser- certainly seems very plausible or likely that um, that rising rates would cool off the um, the like the the supply. Let's say the new supply of of of, um, of housing. I don't know that it's happened just yet, but mm. I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it were to happen. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's it's very plausible. Um, and I guess, yeah, like it's just, look, well, general point I'd say is, you know, it's it's seen as bad that, Say that that development on the on the airport road isn't going ahead, and it's like oh, the funds are pulling out. Just is just as you'd expect isn't that bad, but I mean, it's the funds have been the enemy for the last ten years for a lot of people, and they've been fought to the nail uh, in their in their efforts to to build and to to grow here. So it, I don't know whether is it is it good or bad that they're that they're to put the question back to you is it good or bad that they're not building.
0: Oh, I think it's good. I mean, straight up, I think it's good Mm. that the institutional investors are withdrawing. I'm just starting from the analysis point in terms of what is the situation, Mm. and then go on to the assessment of do we think that's a good thing or a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you you probably know what I'm gonna say. Like the argument, the argument for why they're good is that um like it's there's tons of evidence from all over the world that building homes of, of all kinds, not just social homes makes homes more affordable and um, so that's just every single home whether whether it's a penthouse or a or a cottage does it does its bit for making for improving affordability and so that's my starting point with so i'm i, I think that every when uh when a, when a market price rate home is built that the whole system benefits because it all gets loosened up a bit, and that's sort of my argument for doing it. And I just just to be to be to drill down and be a bit more specific about it, like the reason I so I'm I'm all for social housing and I'm all for market housing, and that's because I see just this huge, huge housing needs. Like there's in terms in we need tens and tens of thousands of homes more than even more than we're targeting. Even we're not we're not hitting our targets. The target is thirty. And the target is too low. It should be probably fifty, and we've been below that target for years. So there's a backlog. So I think we just need to open all the taps. Open the cold tap. Open the hot tap. Fill the bath in every in every possible way. And I think anything that we every bit of additional supply is helping. And I think by focusing only on one, by focusing only on the social and affordable side, you're well. It's you're making it harder and you're making it more expensive for ordinary people. I think.
0: Yeah it, it it's you know that's that's your perspective on it and and you know I think that the the way I would see it is that and if you look at what's actually happening um that and I, and I've made this case that whatever about playing a small niche role in providing you know luxury high-end developments mm. I think the problem has been that they're so they've been so dominant in Ireland for the last 6 years and and they are dominating supply and I would argue that, and, and this is kind of the, the, the bit that my big issue is that we're, with government, it's government has been completely captured by them. And it's like they went in in 2012, 2013, 2014 to government and said, look, we can take off all these toxic, you know, the apartments off Nama. We can sort it all out for you. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it became apparent that there was a housing need emerging in 2014, 2015, Government said, well, these guys are the future because the landlord, the small landlords hasn't worked. So we need big professional landlords They'll and, and all millennials just want to rent. So we'll put all our eggs into this basket. And also because of their neoliberal ideology, which they were still holding to very strongly, the likes of Michael Noonan in particular, who's the former finance minister, they saw no role for the state in building social or affordable housing at that point in time. And. Mm. Um, and they um and i think that what essentially what they did was they said well this is the future you know and this will provide the key yeah. supply and i think that was the big mistake that they and and now when you look at dublin you see the main thing that's being built uh, like you're talking overwhelming majority of what's being built mm. is built to rent apartments that's right um you know that's the main supply yeah and so but that's not sustainable that's not a good well, mix of housing being delivered and the problem is that they own so much land they've taken over so much land and also then the rents that they're charging are pulling up market rents because it's not a no, sufficient you, supply to bring down rents
1: no so well, they see there. there's a fundamental differences there because if like because if you think that they if you think that they're pulling up market rents then like you're right you know if, if i thought that they were pushing up market rents i would agree with you but they're not i, I think and that's the really key point And even though the rents are, but how are
0: they not? If if they're if they're charging whatever it is, two and a half grand for a two bed apartment, you know, and that's essentially setting a new market rent. How is that not pulling up rents? No, but they're because other landlords are going. Well, that's the new market rent. So I'm going to increase my rent when I let out a new tenancy to that rent.
1: Well. I think there's been loads and loads of people who have looked at this in different ways and they've looked at national level and city level and street level even. And all the studies point in the exact same direction, which is that new supply lowers, lowers rents nationally, citywide, locally. So it's not, it's not like, it's not as, it's not that the, 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 the the guys, even, even the likes of, I don't know who'd be a big one, Graystar or someone, even the likes of Graystar, which are big, they don't have that much market power that they can determine market rents in the city like if if gray star come on and say actually i'm going to put an apartment on for seven thousand. Mm. no people people won't go to that because they do have other options great even even a gray star have to take have to ha- have to take a price from the market that's the problem the problem is that the market price is so high because supply and demand are in such a in such a so off kilter um and that's that's the key point. Um, and just just to go back to so that's that's why I strongly believe that new stuff, new stuff, even fancy stuff, pushes prices down. And that's why even fancy stuff is good. And to go back to Michael Noonan and all that, I like I think I, firstly and firstly, like one one other thing you said, you I know Michael's from Limerick, and you feel a strong affinity there. I went to school. <laughs> I went to school with his son, actually. Yeah. Um, what, what was I going to say? Um, There's no getting away from anyone in this country, is there really? Ah, uh, no, sure. you have to be loyal. that's 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 it. um but, but, um, you do you deserve a lot of credit though for for like putting the heat on. And I think you probably accelerated um Finnegale's thinking on this by a couple of years, you and your movement um towards like social housing just basically getting like lighting a fire under them and making them do put, try 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 harder, basically, I think they weren't they weren't didn't quite appreciate how severe it was um a couple of years ago. But just just as as to why they brought the funds in, I think, it, again, it's another artifact of the financial crisis. Before, before the financial crisis, it was property developers, basically builders and banks were funding it. After the financial crisis, our banks were unable and unwilling to fund property development. Mm. They, they, they came under new rules, basically, which kind of more or less barred them from doing it. So we had a situation where we needed things to get built and banks weren't the traditional source of funding so how are we going to do it it's like well we'll do it the way they do it in in every other country where we'll just create a vehicle people put money into the vehicle and the vehicle builds it so like that's that's the origin of it they're basically kind of a replacement for the banks in terms of how how new private homes get built and who pays for them
0: yeah it's a significant change in the financing model of housing development as you say that in the Celtic Tiger years, it was banks um funded private developers to build. But now it is essentially mainly this global equity which is funding the development of both, you know, houses around the country and apartments. And and I think there's a real issue with that. And and I suppose because you know, when you said there about social housing, um I just it there's, there's points that go back in, but the on on the rent point. That, um you know the research shows that in certain areas of Dublin the private rental sector that the proportion of tenancies which are owned by corporate landlords is mm-hmm. now heading over I know I can't have the exact figures off my head but it's quite substantial it could be as high as 40 percent. Or more in certain local electoral areas, small areas. Now, is that is
1: that corporate like, one particular one, or no, no?
0: It might be a agree. number of them, a number yeah, of them, yeah. but a very small number. You might have three or four, um, and so that what I would argue gives the potential for uh, oligopolistic. markets. Yeah, that's, that's who you're setting. getting to, Rory. Like,
1: is it to, to to to. But, but, but with, I, I just, like, I, just I think your, it make does. your argument work. You need to have that collusion or monopoly, and like I think you're. It's kind of a reach. Like I don't. There's not it's there isn't that there isn't me, really that me,
0: you look at you look at financial capitalism and how it works and, and you say it's it's a reach to say that you know companies don't talk to each other or don't even look at yeah, what no, each no, other is
1: doing or absolutely when you have con- market concentration there's always potential for abuse but the point, the point the point is we don't have market concentration not in dublin not in ireland like there is there's just the like the, the
0: but if they're dominating know, the market, the the market share of
1: the market share of the single biggest landlord—I don't have the, finger th- the number at my fingertips—but it'll be in the single digits. And like that's not where well, you've got like that's not a recipe for collusion. You know, when you've got large numbers of small, r- r- small, and medium-sized landlords, even if they wanted to collude, it's diff- It's impossible to do it. You know, they. But it's more possible when they know what each other is charging and
0: they can see the rents being charged. And so they can see what's what's the new market rent, and they can up it, and they can essentially set that local market rent. But anyway, I, I'm going to move on a slightly bit from that because we could we could go down, and unfortunately, our time is uh, against us a little bit this morning. Um, but I am, um, and it's it's great to have you on, and we'll have you back for definite, Sean. A question, and I suppose where I would challenge you fundamentally is this question of, you know, you said you agree with social housing being 20, percent and I suppose I would say that. I would think I'm not against market housing. Um, but what I am against is market determining whether housing need is met or not. And the level, as you agree, of need is so high, um, not just for social housing, but also for affordable housing. Um, that, you know, we're talking, we probably need in the region of you know, 30,000, and I agree with your 50,000, we probably need 30,000 social and affordable housing being built each year. The market's not going to fund that or finance that. And so I think we have to, the state has to not just get local authorities building, but housing associations, I think cooperatives, the not-for-profit sector and financing that to a scale, like, you know, way beyond anything it's, it's even imagining right now. And I think that's what we need to go to.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I think I think that's kind of, it gets at one of the differences between us. I think where y- you emphasize sort of political will as the big bottleneck, like that we basically have to find the money, increase the budget and get it done that way. Mm. And I just don't see it that way because I'm not sure that money really is the bottleneck. I think if we ramped up the if we borrowed from the financial markets, whatever, and we ramped up our spending on it, that that wouldn't translate into one-to-one into houses it, it, because the bottleneck is elsewhere in our system. I think it's for all the reasons that developers find it difficult to build in large numbers, the state would find it difficult too. And I think you'd be almost giving the state a hospital pass if you said in the next, if you've got a mandate now, you must deliver, you are promising to deliver 30,000 homes, you've got the budget, you've got to off you go and do it. I think the state operating in the same flawed and constrained system that we have now would fail in a similar way that market providers are failing because it's just it is objectively difficult to build in ireland you know it's it's, it's costly it's uncertain got planning problems and I, I that's what i would focus on really more i think if you can if you can unlock you can solve those underlying problems then everything gets easier the state would be able to do more with this money you'll like and just a, just, a, just another key point, actually, if I can, if, if I'm not getting too too convoluted, like the amount of billing isn't fixed. You know, it, it's currently, well, let's say 100. Instead of like fighting over how we allocate that 100, we could focus on making it 500 600. There's no, there isn't that the limit of what we can build is far, far above what we're doing now. So I think that will be kind of a key point of what I would try to say, what i try to say. Fix the underlying problems in our system that makes makes it hard to build and then focus on just growing the pie, growing the total amount of building. Uh, So 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 that we're, you know, back in 2005, we're building 60,000 homes per year. Like we could shoot for that. We could shoot for more than that. But it's, it's about the underlying problems, I think.
0: And I suppose on one sense, I agree with you that there are clearly underlying problems that the state would face as well in the same way if it expanded. Um, and I think how the state delivers has to change as well. Absolutely. I, I don't think, and I suppose this is sometimes it, it it becomes complex to try and make this nuanced argument that I think the state should be backing new ways of doing it. And it's not that I believe the state is great in how it's doing it at the moment. I think it needs to be radically reformed in how it does things. Um and in, you know, I don't see the likes of the land development agency, you know, senior people in councils. Local authorities, you know, departments really driving this sort of, you know, new model that is needed. And mm-hmm. um, so I think there needs to be major change within the state itself and how it does things and bringing in I really believe that the housing associations, the not for profits could really be expanded along with a national home building agency that would be a semi-state like the ESB that would have a, you know, that it is thinking as a social enterprise, you know, that it's thinking about how is this viable? How is that? And that's a whole way, a new way of doing housing along with, you know, how we, you know, control land, what we do with it, how we tax it, vacancy, dereliction. But I do have a thing about, it's interesting when you go back to the Celtic tiger and it was something in my research for the book that I came across and which was that in the final three years of the Celtic Tiger, that half of the new housing that was being built, half of it was being bought not as a home, but by a investor, property investor. This was the Celtic Tiger, but they weren't yep. like global investors. They were individuals, mm. landlords essentially, or you know, individuals who were becoming landlords, buying multiple properties, being lent money by the banks. Mm. And because I think it's really interesting when you look at that period when there was massive price inflation and people say, oh, my God, we were lending. There was so much demand. But actually, half of the housing was being bought not as a home, but as an investment. And so I would have that critique that the money flowing housing, viewing it and buying it as an investment rather than as a home does push up prices. And you know it is a form of I think locking people being able to out of being able to buy a home, but also it makes it more difficult for social and affordable housing providers and I do think that we have a problem with the over financialization of housing
1: well I think i can there's i would two things you said one point one point I would agree with another I would disagree with. So you're talking about you know a new model for social delivery and thinking about new ways that say can do it and do it better. And that makes perfect sense. And there are places around the world, you'll talk about Vienna, or you'll talk about Singapore, that have delivered like a fantastic housing system for their people based on those sorts of principles. So you might say from that, like, oh, okay, well, the answer is we need to reform the state to do it better. But there are other places that have got very well-functioning housing systems that have done it in a completely different way. And they've done mm-hmm. it by relying on leading into private investment. In places like the southern american cities or japanese cities and so it's like what do these two radically different approaches have in common and what they have in common is just abundance and so both in the singapore and in vienna and in your likes of your houston's or your atlanta's or your tokyo's you've got a, a, a situation where tons and tons of homes were built and it, it kind of didn't really matter how they were built in tokyo it was pro- tokyo or houston it was all private developers and investors and in and, and in and in um, in Singapore it was the government but they got to the same destination which was abundance so I think that's got just got to be the key word it's not it's not going to be about exactly which what ideological system delivers it but it's just about getting to getting to abundance and so I think part of so so part of the solution I think is sort of it's it's kind of borrowing from both it's like borrowing from what makes the Viennese housing co-ops so successful and how they've been able to turn around such high volume of homes cost effectively and how do they think about that what's their institutional setup and then looking at like what is it about the the japanese planning system or the or the or the um sorry the texan one why how can they build houses how could how can their private developers build houses so quickly and efficiently? if we can kind of listen to each with the goal the overarching goal of getting to abundance i think that's 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 where we need to be
0: listen sean thanks so much for coming on reboot republic i appreciate you giving the time and uh yeah, Coming on and having the chat, I appreciate that.
1: It's great, Rory. Sure, I'll see you in Gaffney's or Kennedy's, absolutely, very, very soon. I'm
0: sure. Uh, hopefully, in the run up to Christmas, I'll get out and uh, the kids get better and get over all their multiple
1: colds and viruses oh. and the the whole lot. Um, Stop. huh? I'm in the same boat, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's
0: everywhere, it's everywhere at the moment, and uh, just the thoughts go out to the, the family of a, a child who actually died with strep A, um, and um it's yeah it's it's a tough time and i know there's a lot of people who are managing sick kids at the moment and it's a tough time for that so our thoughts go out to them um and uh listen sean have a good christmas and we'll see you the other side thanks for having me on rory thanks sean good luck